Welcome everyone to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney. Our goal here is to give you some actionable takeaways that will help you lead your teams. Thanks for joining us on this leadership journey. Let's get started. Welcome everyone. Super excited today. It's a big day here in Stepping Into Your Leadership because we have not one guest, but two guests in the house today, Tom Armstrong and Yindi Vatanavan Beckham here with us. Tom and I have been working together about 15 years. He's been with us at the leadership program and Yindi's been here about 18 years and she's really holding on to those three years of seniority over Tom. Yeah. And these guys, you know, comparatively, they're here less than the previous guests we've had. So it's, you're like the youngins. No, not that much anymore. But uh, anyway, you're you're very young, Andy. Just Yandy. I started in the company when I was 15. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, Yandy and Tom work in our programming department. They run tons of programming. They have a large number of people that report to them. And so I've invited them here today to talk about the art of people management, because really they are managing tons and tons of folks. Yindi is their vice president of programming and she has, how many direct reports do you have Yindi? So people get an idea. I mean, direct reports, I only have four. Four, but then Tom is one of her direct reports, so we'll hear about some of those dynamics, I'm sure, too. And Tom, how many direct reports do you have, and then how many do those folks have? Six, and then, you know, they they manage... I'm not really sure how many, actually, to be honest. We have about 150 or so part-time people that they share a a chunk of those in terms of who they manage. So, yeah, quite quite a lot. And then over the years, each of them have had a large number. It's changed, you know, as they've progressed and their careers have advanced through the company. And the thing about these two is... Uh, one of the reasons why their careers have moved up in this company was because how good they were at managing people and handling the vast majority of positive things that happen when you're managing people and also the challenges. And so we're invited them today to talk about this art and craft of people management because so many times if you're getting your MBA or you're studying or you think that business and when you go into management is going to be about just solving problems, budgeting, figuring out how to strategy, how to bring in revenue, how to work on that bottom line. And more often than not, the things that keep you up are the people issues, right? Over and over and over again. And so what we hear is the data on that is that people don't leave companies. They leave bosses, right? And so the more that you can work with your teams to get good bosses at every single level, the chances are you're going to retain people at a better rate. You're going to have higher engagement, higher productivity. And so that's why in the different episodes that we're going to be talking about a lot these issues around people management from navigating difficult conversations to how to set up one-on-ones to uh, how to support people as they grow in their leadership. And if you do that, then hopefully your leadership grows as well. So these two folks are here today to share some of their best practices since they are the folks on my team that do so much of the leadership development on the ground and all the way up through the organization. So welcome, you guys. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. Thank you. So let me just start, Yind, with you, because as the vice president of all of our programming, which is our biggest department, certainly holds the most people. Why do you think it's so critical to train all of your staff? If you were talking to other VPs out there or whatever, why do you think it's so critical to train your staff constantly in leadership development? 
Well, so I think it really does reduce the turnover rate, right? You know, we have 24 directors that work with us at the leadership program and we have less than 4% turnover. And it is because we have constant and ongoing professional development. And it, it really is the only way to keep things innovative and to keep things interesting and to give everybody a voice in all of this. So it's, I think it really just creates cohesiveness and it keeps the team together and it makes people feel like they are taking a huge stake in, in the process in our company, you know, so we're not telling them what to do. We're all training together and, and constantly working on their professional development and also showing how much we're investing in them as people and leaders in our company. So yeah, that's, you know, that's a huge reason. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's interesting. One of the statistics that Yindi and I look at sometimes when we're debating and really discussing like how much time, energy and money do we put towards our staff development, you know, one of the statistics that always sticks out to me is 75% of people who voluntarily left their jobs. Okay. Not, not at our company, but overall Gallup did a study. 75% of people left their jobs said that they did so because of their bosses, not because of the position, you know, which is really interesting. And also 50% of new managers fail within 18 months. It's crazy, right? It's almost a recipe for disaster. If you're not constantly looking at how do we develop people? You know, how do we move people up? Because we have this thing and I, you know, I always get nervous because both Yindi and Tom, when they were, they both have worked at this company for a long time and not always in management positions, right? They came in and were on the ground doing the work and we said, oh, they're great. And we noted a few things. One, they were very good at their jobs, but two, that we could tell that they had some leadership potential. They had some administrative abilities, right? Not all those folks do. But we looked at it and we said, well, if we take them out of what they're good at, are our clients going to be upset because they're not with the client every day? Do we lose something? And so there's always a little bit of a push and pull because the short-term part of us wants to keep the client happy and keep that person who's doing a really good job on the ground, in the weeds, so to speak, there doing the good work so we can get the, the return business. But the bigger part of us knows that if I don't give Tom and Yindi an opportunity to grow and move them out and trust that somebody else will come in and then Tom or Yindi will work with that person to get them just as good as they were, and then everybody moves up. But it's a risk that we take. And I see more often than not, people keep people there just in a short-term goal of pleasing that client instead of going, okay, let me trust that I can do this. I can move Tom or Yindi up, you know, as they went, and then we'll train the new people. We'll train Tom and Yindi and we'll keep going up that pipeline, right? So it doesn't stop because if I kept them there, they wouldn't be here still, right? I still, I see that so much in companies that we work with. They're afraid to take them out of certain projects because they're afraid of upsetting those kind of difficult clients, so to speak. But every single time we've done it, it's maybe difficult at first, but usually when you, you explain it to the client, they kind of understand like this is an opportunity. Yeah, Christine, there, there's this other element to that too, that I know every time that I've grown in the organization, I'm leaving a position that I feel like I'm. I'm effective at, and I understand, I know how to do this. And then I might change position, grow, become a manager, have different like budgetary thing. And I make all my mistakes in the first two or three, I make a ton, I'm like the big mistakes in the first two or three mm -hmm. years where I'm saying something like I'm just dealing with a situation poorly. Um, I learn from that and I get better. Like this is the greatest discomfort. So I'm going from being 
pretty good at what I'm doing and feeling good about what I do to, especially that first year when I was managing folks, it was rough. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was like, why are people responding to me this way? And I realized later it was because of the way I was managing. I was doing, making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we're not patient with people during that part of the J curve of change, right? When they have to go, well, it has to get worse before it gets a little bit better. Even with ourselves, you know, Tom, I really appreciate hearing you say that because I remember moving into position here at our company where I had to move into the kind of CEO position. And even though I had been leading people for a long time, it still was a whole set of new problems and new challenges and things that I wasn't as prepared for as I thought I would be. And I I had to get a lot of coaching and support and new networks of other folks who had been doing this job in other places for a long time and talking to people who could help me. So I do think that at every level, right? Because even in Fortune 500 companies, if you look at it, you know, one third of executives don't make it past three years. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about, Tom, is that in the beginning is when you're going to make most of your mistakes. And if we're not helping provide training and support and coaching for people at that time, that is the critical time. You have to go through that. But you can go through it faster and it doesn't have to be as deep as a drop in that J curve of that change process, right? It can start to come back up a little bit faster. Yeah. It just is. Even if it's normalized, failing is painful. So you're going from feeling successful to feeling like just a lot of failure at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think also a lot like newer managers come in with an idealized way of managing, right? It's like, this is how we manage. This is how we hit our target numbers. This is how we do it. And they have their process all figured out in their head. There has to be a period of time where you're really getting to know your team and understand that everybody has a different love language, right? And your management style, it's not, it's not a one size fits all. And that's also, you know, a little bit of what Tom is talking about. It's that period of time when you're really getting to understand your team and the communication style that's needed to be effective, you know, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily going to work with every single person that you manage. Yeah, That takes time and that takes openness and listening and, you know, really being patient with yourself and your team. Yeah, patient with everybody, right? I need to uh, explain this J-curve of change here a little bit because I mentioned it. When we look at the J-curve of change, I really see that in when you're moving people up, right? When you're moving people and they're progressing in their careers, imagine a, a J, right? And you're there at the beginning of when you draw a J, the very part of that is when you feel the most comfortable, right? You're there, you're ready, you've climbed up to the top of the diving board and you're on top of the world. And then you look down and you see what's coming, right? And you see this big drop before you hit the pool. And that big drop is going to come down and there's no way around it. The only way around it is to not progress, to not get promoted, to not promote anybody, just stay there, right? And you're going to get bored there and you're going to come back down. But if you do what happens, you take that jump, you take that leap. And what happens is before you've got to go down, right? You've got to, you've got to go down. So you start to draw that J down the bottom, right? And then how far that goes down depends on a few things, Uh, depends on time, right? Time, experience, communication. And then eventually when you get used to what you're doing and you start to see hope and you start to get it, And all of a sudden things become a little easier and you're like, oh, okay, that one will. You start to go back up the other side to the top. and But that's a long journey back up, right? But just like when you draw a J, it's not going to come back up to where you were before. That's a U, (laughs) 
right? That's just drawing a U. What you want is it to keep going up and so that you see progression until it plateaus again. And then guess what? You're going to drop down again. And then you're going to go back up further. And the idea is that it becomes a graph where it's constantly growing, right? Going the catalyst for the drop is either an environmental change or a change to your position or these right. kinds of things, right? right. That, that, the, that growth always entails the drop. Yeah. And you can see it. People who have a baby, for instance, same thing. You're like, oh my God, this is so fun. I can't wait. And then you're like, oh my God. Why did I stop crying? How do I do this? I don't know what I'm doing. And you drop down into this play and then you start to get it. You start to feel it out and then it moves up and then you're like, this is great till you have another one. And then you just, it just happens again. But hopefully this time it's shorter because you've learned from your previous experience like, oh yeah, that was hard, but I did it. I can learn again. It's why we learn to walk. It's why we learn to run. It's It's all of those things. And the same thing is in human development and the way that people learn, we have to go through that process. And sometimes it's good to talk to your staff about it or to talk to the person that's getting promoted about it so that if Yindi is an all-star, let's say, in her job and she likes that feeling, right? And then if I say, it's time for you to progress or take on these new responsibilities or there's going to be a piece of her that's excited and then there's going to be a piece of her when it starts is like, I don't like this feeling. I'm not very good at this, right? And then it's my job to say, it's okay. Remember when you took on this, you had to learn and show her those things and be there and support and coach along the way to shorten that J like the, and the shorten the time and then how deep she has to fall. So that's constantly what we're doing. And if Tom, you describe it a different way. I know from some of Mark Horseman's work, I love you to talk about your metaphor with the working out at the gym. I think it's a great one. I haven't been to the gym in a while, so I feel like it's more appropriate if you share it. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. No, it's a, yeah, it is a metaphor that occurred to me, I guess, early on when, when I was managing is that the, I mean, when I was in high school, I used to like, yeah, bench press. It was part of, part of gym. So I was in there and periodically you would lift for your max, your maximum lift. And so you're on the bench. How do you do this? You're on the bench, you know, laying down and holding the the bar and it'll be the most that you, you haven't even really tried this. You're trying to see how is the most I can lift. So you put that on the bar. You need to have someone behind you that's spotting you that has the hands underneath the bar, just two fingers basically. So that as you're pushing this bar up and doing your best to lift it, it's your maximum exertion and your spotters behind you with the fingers just underneath the bar, not touching it. And you're squirming and moving and trying your best to get this thing up. And their job is not to touch it. Because as soon as they do, they've released some of the weight. And it's no longer actually the weight that you're supposed to be lifting. So incredibly uncomfortable and, yeah, extreme sort of discomfort. So you're pushing this. You're going up to the top. If you start to come down, it's the spotter's job to put their fingers underneath the bar very gently and put maybe half a pound or one pound of lift. Just enough so that you still have to fight to get the bar all the way up. So a spotter that's doing a bad job won't do that in time. And then the bar can come down and cause you injury. And another version of a spotter that's not doing a good job is a spotter that grabs the bar and lifts it. And so for me, that metaphor is actually perfect for, for this management thing of when you see someone who's in this position of growth and discomfort and it's painful. Because I honestly, I think there's this misconception about leadership that it's, there's this romanticism around it and you have power. And I think like leadership, actually, the time when I've really had to lead, have it's been super stressful, very hard, very painful. Mm-hmm. And it's like that feeling of just like, can I even do this? And Yinny's my boss. So she's behind me. I know she's there behind me. And I know that at any point, 
that bar is not going to come down and hit hit me, right? So on a good but, day. <laughs> but also, also, if she were to grab the bar and just lift, I'd be like, "What the hell? Yeah. Don't you trust oh, me? Yeah, like I got this." So it's so for me, one of the things that I love about her leadership, hey, and I'm saying something <laughs> nice, is that is that she really, and we've known each other for so long, so she kind of knows. She can tell through my voice, or I can call her and be like. I do need help with this, or I just need someone to bounce ideas off of. And then it, for her, like she does that delicate thing of just, just doing enough without actually getting in there and sort of doing the job for me. And that's how I build the muscle and get better and better. So eventually I can lift that. And then I'm ready for the next J curve. Exactly. You know, I'm like ready for the yeah. next change. Yeah. But I have to go through the pain. If you're trying to normalize comfort, with your team because you don't like them to be uncomfortable, you're cheating them of their growth. So it's really important to normalize that discomfort as, as a strengthening sort of mechanism, I guess. That's so true. And I see so many people, including myself, have do I've done that in the past where I want to protect somebody, right, from the pain of it because I'm afraid, oh, if she's too unhappy or he's too overburdened or whatever, they're going to leave. When in fact... More people leave because they're bored and not challenged than giving them responsibility and just kind of gently holding that bar when necessary, right? But the key is, and the art of it is watching people to know when they need you there and when not, especially if, if you're doing it with a whole bunch of people. If you want to know more about that or the J-Curve of Change, we're going to put a chart on the website, tlpnyc.com slash podcast, so you can check it out. So with that in mind, how do you do what Tom's talking about when you have so many people to worry about that maybe are all in the gym at once lifting a bar? How do you do that, guys? Yeah, really carefully and, <laughs> and delicately. No, I think it, it really goes back to it's, it's having the tough conversations in real time. You know, it's never avoiding the tough conversation. Like if something is not going right or you're getting feedback, I think sometimes our immediate reaction is going back to that. We want to keep them safe, right? We want to hold, we want to make sure that we're protecting them and but I think you got to have those tough conversations because it's the only way to move past it, you know, and to make sure that we're getting better at what we're doing, you know, and they're growing and they're feeling the challenges that are being thrown at them left and right. Because so many times my instinct has been like, maybe this is a one-off thing. Do I really need to have this conversation? This is probably not going to happen again, but it usually always happens again. I think you have to, you know, go in and, and have those conversations and it's going to feel really not good, but the outcome is so much stronger and they continue to grow for it. So I, I think that's something that Tom and I have really honed in on because so many times we're like, oh, paper, rock, scissors, who wants to have this conversation? But it, it is, it's having them in real time and really tackling them as they happen. Okay. So that's a really good note because I think what you described, Yindi, we've all done. We've just said, oh, it's just one off. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Absolutely. And what you're really doing is making a silent pact to not let them grow not give them any support, any training. You're not coming in there to hold that bar because holding that bar, like you said, putting those two fingers for that half pound or one pound isn't always fun. Like, right? It's not like I get to go in there and have this idea of being a coach on the sidelines and, and that my whole life is the inspirational talk that's going to bring them, you know, to beat <laughs> Russia in the I don't Finals. think I ever, I don't think I ever gave an inspirational talk. Well, you talk. haven't. No. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm going to take a note, something to work on. Work on your inspirational talk, Tom. 
but most of the time it's kind of like work. It's, it's hard. It's a difficult conversation. It's uncomfortable. And so we avoid discomfort, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we do. And mm -hmm. one of the things I will say about both of you is that you hit the nail on the head. Like you guys are good at going in quick and trying to get out quick. And, and usually, you know, my mom said when I had to have, when I was first starting and I had to have really difficult conversations with people where it was those conversations where you'd been to the end of kind of performance improvement and you may have to if they don't make change, you'll, you'll have to let them go. And I was absolutely nervous. And my mother, who had managed people for years and years at a big company, she gave me some good advice. She says, okay, Christine, you're going to go in there and you're going to get out in 17 minutes. She said, <laughs> if you're still talking after that, that is beyond punishment to them. Like get in there quick and get out. And if they want to come back to you and talk later, leave an opening for that. Don't think you have to cover everything in that one conversation. But that really helped me because I had to I had to prepare for that conversation differently. And this is the kind of stuff that nobody really teaches you. No. And even if they do, you weren't listening because you it, it wasn't like top of mind for you to have. You thought, oh yeah, I sh that, that makes sense. I can do that. But when it's really staring you in the face, it's a different story. Christine, I think also I want to touch on something that, you know, Yindi at the very beginning of this conversation was talking about professional development and ongoing professional development. And one way that that could look is that you're doing, you know, workshops that are scheduled with your staff. That's a type of professional development. But I feel like uh, I'll speak for myself. The best professional development I receive and is the ongoing thing that's not necessarily scheduled Yeah. or it is scheduled in terms of my one-on-ones with Yindi. So I get, you know, that's like a weekly place where I do get professional development that, you know, we never know exactly how it's, but I come to her with situations. She helps me, you know, with ideas for how to manage them. But it's been when I've been really stress tested in the moment and come to her also, Christine, you've given me great advice and you're like some directive on how to manage it. And then I go and apply it in real time. Also, I think specifically the kind of professional development that we do the most, yeah. as opposed to calling everybody in and then we're going to have like a workshop, which we do every six weeks at Popcorn. But this other- Tom, that's our business. Do not try and tell people <laughs> not to oh do my it. God. What? Not to do what? <laughs> no, no. I, I, yeah. So I'm not saying don't do the professional development workshops. I'm saying, have to, I'm saying it's but it's not, not necessarily yeah. that we're- It's a combo. It really is a combo. And I really think I can confidently say that if you surveyed our team, they would say that one of the strengths that we have overall as a department is the support that they receive. Because there's nothing worse than feeling like you're out there by yourself. And if I can give any advice, always have that one-on-one. -on -one. Just always have it, you know, don't let that be the first thing that falls to the wayside because you, you learn so much in that very short period of time, you know, to really just back up what Tom said, there's so much coaching, coaching and professional development that happens. It really is how they continue to grow. And it's such an important aspect to managing that I think sometimes is the first thing that gets overlooked when things get busy and we have deadlines to meet and there's 800 fires. It's like, we'll just do that one-on-one -on -one later. No, always have the one-on-one. <laughs> Oh, scheduled that. weekly, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, let me ask yeah. you, I'm putting you guys on the spot because, you know, one of the kind of best practices out there is to have a weekly one-on-one -on -one with all of your direct reports. And this is the part in the episode where people, you know, push pause or turn it off because they're like, no way, I can't do it. I'm too busy. And you two are examples of people who are super busy, but I know that you're dedicated to that one-on-one. -on -one. How long do you generally keep that one-on-one -on -one for each direct report? And do you find that it saves you time in the end or that it's just, it's a good return on investment? Like 
what is your experience with that? Because that is the thing that I have the hardest time talking executives and senior management into doing because they're worried about adding to their plate. But then generally I find once they do it, unless they're just telling me this, it starts to change things for them. Uh, So my question is for you, is that true? And like, why do you think that changes things for you and saves you time if it does? I geek out on this, so I could go on forever, but I don't want to be, you know, should I go, Yindi? No, please. No, the floor is yours. So yeah, I'm just a giant advocate, huge advocate of the one-on-one. Yeah. Who has time for that? 30 minutes per direct report and... It always starts with them. It's a lot of it's ca- the counterintuitive as a manager. You you think you need to go first. Yeah. But having a one-on-one scheduled, they know that they have the time coming up to talk to you. I know I have the time. Like if it's, let's just say Tuesday and uh, let's say John and I have a one-on-one on Thursdays and I have something that's important but not urgent. I know I'll put it in my tasks. Okay. To talk about that in my one-on-one. He's doing the same thing with me. So we can contact each other at any point with something truly urgent. But if we're only reaching out with the urgent stuff and leaving the important, not urgent stuff for the one-on-ones, it really reduces the amount of interruptions we're giving each other throughout the week and magnify that, multiply that by all of the uh, direct reports. And you have a much, it's like basically a cleaner schedule, like because you're having fewer interruptions in your day. And as long as everybody kind of observes that. So sometimes I'll remind my directs, I'll say like, I'll help them with whatever it is. And I'll say, also, let's talk about it more on the one-on-one or, you know, like try to reinforce that idea that that, that the one-on-one is the place for these kinds of points so that they know that that's always there. It's also a great parking lot, right? When we're having bigger departmental meetings and all these things are coming up and you're like, okay, this is a great thing to bring up in our one-on-one, you know, so it gets addressed no matter what. Yeah. And I'm sure the other people in the meeting are happy that they're not, you're not taking their meeting time as a group to talk about something that is just specific to one person. Right. 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 Which we think is more efficient for us to handle it right now, but it may not be efficient for everyone's time that's there at the big group meeting. Good point. One one thing also I just want to throw in is that something that I've noticed is that small problems remain small as long as I discover them during the one-on-one. If I'm not having the weekly one-on-one, I I see it every time. We pause for three weeks on the one-on-one and three weeks of growth have happened for those little problems. And now we're meeting and they're really big. And it might be the problem is, could be a resentment that the direct has that they haven't been able to express, or it could be some problem that they just, you, they just haven't found out about and they're doing something incorrectly and you, and you didn't, weren't able to course correct in time. So yeah, it saves me so much time because I'm not doing the rework. I'm not solving the bigger problem. I'm solving them when they're small. And then that other aspect I was talking about earlier. Yeah. I you know, know, in, in another episode, Tom, you and I talk about how you like feedback. So if you want to learn more about how Tom likes feedback. Now, if you want to learn more about giving and receiving, uh, how to, how to give, give Tom, Tom feedback, feedback um, all one of you out there, uh, tune into that. <laughs> Otherwise, if you want to learn in general, some ideas, because Tom spends a, a lot of his time giving feedback, much of it difficult, right? Yeah. You'll talk about that. And he kind of has a reputation for doing it now. And people feel mostly I mean, it's not 100%, of course, but mostly pretty good when they leave those conversations, even if they're, they're hard. Yeah. It's rare. Yeah, it's rare what? Mm-hmm. 
that you <laughs> that Tom gives good feedback. No. no, no, no. You go into a feedback session with Tom, and I will say ninety percent of the time, it's really difficult conversations that he's having. You know, like this is about performance. This is about something that happened. You know, he's having again those difficult conversations in real time, and this person is walking away feeling good. Like that's crazy. How is that possible? You know, but they're walking away confident with an action plan, right? This is what needs to be done. They're not walking away with this sense of vagueness, like, okay, wait, what just happened? He, he thinks I am not doing well, but they're walking away with tools, with steps, and with a check-in plan. Like I have, you know, like this is what needs to happen. These are the steps I need to take. It's the clear communication. It's, it's the goal setting. And it's, again, goes back to support. So these conversations that could totally go a different direction actually help this person become stronger at what they do. It's, it's collaborative. And it doesn't just happen. If you're expecting that all of your folks and managers and leaders within your company are just knowing how to do that or that they should come into this job knowing, they don't. And that's why we see so much turnover yeah. and so much kind of despair with the leaders and with, with the people that report to them, right? And so what can happen is yeah. if we're giving those kinds of sessions where, where you're learning this stuff, like a classroom, you're learning, how do I do this? You're seeing some role plays. You're hearing Tom's examples. You're hearing other people's examples. To your point, Tom, earlier, if you're doing leadership development or your HR department is doing management training with your teams, you have to have the constant talks and support throughout so that those skills are being learned. Just like somebody learning to play a sport or play an instrument or a language, you have the teacher time or math these days. My God, have you tried learning new math? I know you have. Like you have to have the teacher time, then you have to go away and practice. Then you have to give some feedback on how, on that homework. You know, I just had, I'm going to throw you guys a challenge. Okay. So I just had somebody in one of our training sessions with a client that we work with and we've been doing different sessions on stuff. And she just wrote to me last night. So I'm going to share with you her letter. I won't share her name or her company. I want you guys to give uh, how you would handle this because we're going to do, you know, some role plays so she can practice, but it says for our next session, I'm struggling with a direct report who works at a slower pace than I do. I communicate timing expectations, but they are not often met and I'm not notified in advance. If the person does not, think they will make the deadline. Given the type of work we do, being prompt and efficient is very important. How shall I handle it? Thanks. Okay. So mm. I wonder if Tom and I are going to have the same tactic. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm, so why don't you, you, you want to start? It could be different ways, right? One. So what do you think? One. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to, the first thing I would do is you know, sit down and meet with this person face to face and try and understand her process. Like, talk me through how you get from point A to point B. And let's talk about the challenges that happen in between. Because I think until we understand the challenges and the struggles, we're operating on assumption, right? We're operating on you work slower than me. If I can do it, why can't you do it? There's all these biases happening in you your feel brain like already. They don't really care as much right. as you do or something. Or they like don't that. understand a deadline or, you know, maybe they, they need more breaks. So I think the first thing is just to establish what is this process and let's talk about where the challenges and the struggles are. Great. All right, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I love that managing your assumptions, right? So it starts with reflecting on your own yourself. Yeah, you know what? Where? What are my assumptions? What? And then trying to come in, yeah, coming in with an open mind and doing a discovery like she described is amazing. I love that. 
and yeah, being very supportive, creating like a, a collaborative process through which you, you know, so they feel that they're being supported in it. But if you can help, sit down with them and help them find like, oh, this is an area where maybe you're getting caught up and that's slowing you down. And here's a patch for that. Here's like a fix that's for right. that finding the next thing. And also understanding that for that kind of learning and development, let's say someone always shows up late for meetings. That can also take some time to get someone to be like always on time for meetings, if that's your priority. But you could kind of expect that to happen tomorrow in a way. And this is the kind of feedback and growth that takes a little bit more time. So you also have to be able to to say like, when do I expect this person to reach that certain level of speed? It's not like tomorrow they're suddenly going to be much faster. So you also have to kind of manage that growth and ask yourself, what, what, what's a goal? And I would do that with them is like, talk about like, this is the duration that I would like you to, to be able to do these tasks at. What do you think? Can we set together a reasonable timeline for you to be able to get there? Yeah. And then I'm going to help you get from here to And there. what if they set it with you and they say yes in the meeting and then they don't make that deadline and don't even tell you they're not going to make that deadline? Then how does that conversation that go? That definitely gets, uh, It's this is, this is a trigger for me <laughs> as well. <laughs> if someone's not telling me that they're missing a deadline. You know, so I, I, the only thing I can think of for that is like, I'll, I'll set up status, you know, regular status reports. And uh, sometimes I might need to be the one going in and, sh- and saying, hey, can I get your status on this particular thing if they're not giving it to me? That can be annoying. Because trust is broken, yeah. it, right? Yeah. As soon as they don't meet that deadline, you don't trust them mm-hmm. anymore. And they kind of need to know that. Yeah. So I think that's when you really also take it to the next level, right? So we figured out the process. These are where we're struggling with having. These are our expectations. That's not working. You have to move into some sort of action plan. You know, we yeah. we do pips in, in circumstances like this where it's like, okay, you better describe what a pip is just in case somebody else. A pip there- is a performance improvement plan. And it's essentially, it it clearly states these things, these items need to be done on this date. If they are not done, then it is documented. You know, so it's just something that's a little more concrete and a little more you have to take more ownership because now we're, we're talking if this, this, and this isn't met on this date, then you failed that performance improvement plan, you know, and then there's next steps. Like maybe this isn't the best spot for you or we need to, and, and we have done that in this company, you know, Christine and Tom can both definitely. Not, not for not giving us like the, you know, it depends on the severity of the thing, but yeah. No, but also it's like, this just isn't the right spot for you. So, you know, as a manager, I'm like, all right, but what is a good spot for you? Like just because you're not succeeding in this one project, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful somewhere else. But I do think at a certain point, a performance improvement plan has to be introduced. Otherwise, this miscommunication is just going to continue over and over again. I think one of the secrets behind the the performance improvement plan, the PIP, is that uh, the manager also has to have the self-discipline because it, 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 it is important to do that. You have to believe in the person's capacity to achieve the thing. It, it, yeah. And it has to be set up in a way that supports them and gets them like that, that it is something that's achievable within reason and that you absolutely believe in it and you're not doing it as a way to phase someone out of a thing. Like, it's not like, well, I have to do a PIP now in order to phase them out. That's the wrong approach. Right. A PIP is right. actually for performance improvement. And it actually generally, most of the time, it does lead to improvement. It's just when it's written out and someone's looking at it in front of them and the conversation, they're kind of signing the document. They're like, sometimes they're just like, oh, I get it. Now I realize how important this is. I didn't get it before. Now I do. I'm going to take it right. much more seriously because you've raised the stakes. And then the, the, the improvement happens and they feel supported by it too. 
as opposed yeah. to. But a, you're not starting with that, no, 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 right? I mean, you're starting with a conversation, right? Oh, absolutely. And, Don't give me a heart attack, Tom. Yes, you're going to start with a conversation uh, probably a couple of times, right, before we get to a performance improvement plan. I start every one-on-one with a pip. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I thought you just My did that with work, me. She gave me a pip. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, one of the things that we'll do, even in our own training and our leadership development, it keeps going, right? We're, we're constantly still learning, um, is that we'll take situations like the one we just did and we'll debate them, we'll role play them, we'll try them out so that people are trying with situations that are out before they come into contact with it. Or maybe someone in the room is dealing with a situation similarly and you can watch it play out in front of you and say, oh, okay, I can, I can use a little bit from this person, a little bit from that person. And it's not, it's a, that's where the craft comes in of like specific things you can learn. And the art is then how do you make that yours? How does that come out in your language in who you are as a person? The three of us are very different. We have some things very much in common and we have a way of managing people that's in common. So that makes people feel comfortable no matter who they work with or as they move around our organization. But in general, we're going to have a different style or a different approach. We do have an episode on emotional intelligence. And if you want to listen to some of the things that Tom and Yindi are talking about a little more in depth, you can hear Erica talk a lot about that as well, who also worked with you guys throughout the years. Hopefully you can see from this part of the discussion, the importance of really people management and getting your folks and your leaders along the way to look at this same thing to train them in this, just like you would train them in budgeting or in revenue production or in sales or anything else. We're going to ask Tom and Yindi in the next episode to come back. And we're just going to do spitfire, quick tips on how to manage people. Well, you're going to get a real quick dose of actionable tips that you can do to up your people management game. Does that sound good guys? Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Thank you for listening and tune in next week. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody. Greg Shammy here. As we're closing out today's episode, I've got an awesome opportunity for your new managers and people leaders. Starting May 1st, our transformative eight-week online course called Leadership Learning Lab will kick off. In this course, managers will learn how to build trust and engage their teams, communicate more effectively, and empower themselves and others to achieve success. Imagine if early in your career you had learned how to master the art of impactful feedback or how to navigate performance conversations with ease, and even how to delegate effectively. This course is an investment in your team to help your company grow and achieve ultimate success. It's an opportunity that will help your people transform their leadership skills in just eight weeks. Spots are limited. Pre-sales open right now. This is a chance to get ahead and secure spots for your team members at a 10% discount. Use the code PRESALE, one word. Click on the link in the show notes for more info. And thank you so much for joining Christine today. I look forward to seeing your team in our Leadership Learning Lab.